Welcome to the Epiphany Movement Podcast. To learn more about the Epiphany Movement, visit us online at epiphanymovement.com. Thank you for tuning in, and we hope you enjoyed today's talk from Pastor Drake Nelson. Look really um, specifically into the Bible, and we're going to dig under the text and over the text and through the text to see what it meant in that time when it was written, what it means now, what application we can get from it. So I say that to say, if you are someone who likes to learn, then then this is going to be, you're going to like this, okay? Uh, uh, but if you're someone who wants to be kind of inspired and, and like a sermon more like that, uh, play on your phone, uh, Candy Crush or something, and you know, you'll be at lunch before you know it, so <laughs> it'll all be okay. But, the, but the, what we're trying to answer is the question, does the end justify the means does the end justify the means and so to do that we're going to be in genesis chapter 29 so i hope you brought your bibles um i hope you brought your maybe a pen some paper a notepad if you don't don't worry it's going to be um on the screen for you i hope you brought your thinking caps i hope you brought a discerning mind because we're going to dive into this but um, most importantly i'm glad that you brought yourself so you know you can give yourself a pat on the back i'm so glad that you are here and by the way, just to say, uh, you belong here before you believe. I know that, that in church we think that, oh, you should believe before you belong, but that's actually um, a, a little bit opposite than what the Scriptures teach us. You belong here. We accept you before you necessarily believe that this is maybe God's Word. Maybe you don't believe that. Maybe you don't even believe in Jesus, but you're just coming and trying to see it and test it out for yourself well that's okay we love you we're so glad you're here give us a month give us six months i would say even give us a year and see if 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 god doesn't absolutely transform your life and change everything about you because i believe you will but today we're going to be in genesis 29 and um just to say we're going to read genesis 29 we're going to back up talk about the context then dive into that and then we're going to give the application so that's the roadmap to where we're going today but let's pray before we jump in so god thank you for everything that you've given us uh, thank you for your word. God, I pray that you would just clear our minds, clear uh, maybe some distractions that may be in the room. God, I pray that you would open our, our ears and open our minds, open our hearts so that we can receive what you want us to, to receive today. And, and, and I ask that, that, that you would pray for me, that God would use me and that I would be helpful to you. And so, God, we pray all these things in your name. Amen. And amen. So Genesis chapter 29, um, we're going to be right there in verse 1 to start off with. In Genesis 29 verse 1, it just reads simply like this. It says, Then Jacob hurried on and finally arriving in the land of the east. So what all has happened in, in when we get to 29? What has all happened in chapters 28, 27, and 26? Well, here's what happened, okay? Jacob has a brother and his brother's name is Esau, and they are actually twins. And so Jacob and Esau were born for a long time until eventually their father, Isaac, and his wife, Rebekah, become very, very old. So Isaac is actually to the point where he is getting blind, and he really can't see. So when we look at these two different people, we got Jacob and we got Esau. The church for the last hundred years, have, this is how we have taught. And, and it's right that we teach that this because I think it's like kind of a... a 
an American way to see this, but this is not how the Jews would see it. But here's how we've understood it, is that Esau was a manly man. Have you ever heard that? That Esau was someone who he would go outside and he was rough and he was hairy and he liked to kill stuff and eat it and cook it. Have y'all ever heard it preached like that, you know? But that Jacob, Jacob was a mama's boy. You know, he, he dwelt among the tents, the Bible says. And he was just, they were just different people. But that's not exactly how a, how, how a Jew would understand this. It would actually be kind of like me saying, Esau was the person that left the house when he turned 17 years old. He, he, he never really came home very much. He was always doing his own thing. He was always in the woods. He was always going to hunt or going to fish or hanging out with his friends. But Jacob, Jacob stayed home. Jacob learned. Jacob was, learned the family customs, the family tradition. He was trying to keep the business going. He was ministering to those around in his community. Jacob was a homebody. He was responsible. He was getting things done. He was caring after his mom and his dad while we kind of see Esau as more kind of like on the rebellion side. That's how the Jews would understand this. And so as we like dive into the scripture, you see that something is about to happen. And here's the something that's about to happen. Is that Isaac's wife, Rebecca, is about to bless, Isaac is about to bless Esau, but Isaac's wife, Rebecca, hears about it and She's going to say, no, 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 no. I'm about to manipulate this so where Esau doesn't get the blessing, but I want Jacob to get the blessing. And I'm about to say something that you maybe never heard. She was right to do it. I think, okay, let me show you this in the Bible, okay? Here's what I want to say, is that Esau, put yourself in Isaac's shoes. If you're going to take away, Isaac is the father, if you're going to take away the blessing of your firstborn son and give it to your younger son, that is going to cause your family a great humiliation. Not only that, but you are going to dishonor your oldest son because when you would do this, you would have a big party. And at the party, you would give a blessing, but the blessing was a double blessing. You would say, hey, look, son, this is why I'm blessing you. And this is my blessing. So you would say something like, you are amazing and you have feet like the feet of a donkey. That's what uh, Jacob told his son Joseph. What does that mean, like feet of a donkey? What does that mean? It means you're very sure-footed. You're quick-footed. You're sure so you don't slip up all the time. And here's my blessing, that you'll be the father of many nations. That's what Jacob told his son Joseph. You'd have a two-part blessing at a family in a community event. But, he, but Isaac didn't want to do this because he didn't want to embarrass Esau because if he would have done that, then what would have happened? Esau didn't deserve the blessing. And I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. I got five reasons why. Number one reason I know that Isaac really necessarily didn't deserve the blessing is because do you know what happened after he found out that Jacob stole the blessing? He wanted to kill Jacob. I mean, could you imagine this? Just sitting on the edge of your seat like, oh. 
he's so precious. I'm going to kill that dude when I find him. You know, like, I don't know, like, like, like the little dude off of uh, Lord of the Rings, uh, like Gollum. He wanted to kill his brother. And it says that that in of itself caused Esau to comfort. So killing his brother brought comfort to Esau. That's one reason I know. Number two reason I know that Esau didn't deserve it is because you know how old he was when he was going to get the blessing? He was over, the Bible says, 40 years of age. 40 years of age. His father had them when he was 60. So his father would have been a hundred or over a hundred years old. He was going blind. Why did he wait so long? And the reason that the fathers in that day would wait long is if you, if you didn't know if your youngest son or your oldest son was going to get the blessing, you would wait to see, hey, did he, is, is the older son going to step up? Is he ever going to mature? Is he ever going to learn it? Is he ever going to become a leader? Is he ever going to become that stable patriarch that we want him to be? And as time went on, we see that Isaac waited all the way till he was 100 and he started going blind before he ever decided that he was going to bless Esau. Number three reason I know it is because what would happen in this day and age is that the father and the mother, they, what they would try to do is they would try to, to, to create a marriage for their children. Meaning that they would set up a marriage for their child. And they would always get the oldest child married first. So Esau would have been married, even though they were twins, Esau was born first. So they would try to marry Esau before they married Jacob. But look with me if you have your Bibles open in um, chapter 20. Let's go to 26, chapter 26, in the very last verse of chapter 26. Uh, verse 34, it says this, At the age of 40, Esau married two Hittite wives, Judith, the daughter of Beazer, and Basmath, the daughter of Elon. But Esau's wives made life miserable for Isaac and Rebekah. So what we learn is that Isaac nor Rebekah ever set a marriage up for either one of them. Why? Because they're, hey, he's going to grow up one day. He's going to mature one day. Esau's going to become the man that he's supposed to be one day and be able to be a husband. And he gets 30, 35. 40 and finally Esau's like y'all haven't set up a marriage for me that's fine I'll do it myself and so that's what Esau does he does it himself and marries two Hittite women not only that but we also know that it was not when we see the blessing that Jacob or that Isaac gives he's trying to give it to Esau but he's actually giving it to Jacob here's what we see that it's not that two part blessing that I was talking about hey this is why I'm blessing you you did this you have feet like a donkey so you're sure footed and here's the blessing you're going to become a nation we don't see that it's not a two part blessing look in Genesis 27 if you have your Bibles open Genesis 27 verse 27 and 29 it says this so Jacob went over and kissed him so who is him it's the Isaac and when Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he was finally convinced, and he blessed his son. So what happened was is that, I, that Jacob, he, Esau was a very hairy man, and, and so Jacob then put on some like hairy wool, and then he sprayed some, I don't know, some, some cologne of nature on him. And so he thought, 
he smells like outdoors. Maybe he rolls around in the dirt like a three-year-old. I don't know. And he's like, he surely feels like Esau. And so he was convinced that it was Esau. But listen to his blessing. The latter part of, latter part of verse 27. Here's his blessing. He said, ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of the outdoors, which the Lord has blessed. So here's the blessing, verse 28. From the dew of heaven and the richness of earth, may God always give you an abundant harvest of grain and a, a bountiful new wine. May many nations become your servants and may they bow down to you. May you be the masters over all of your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. All who curse you will be cursed and all who bless you will be blessed. Do you see what's missing in that blessing? What's missing? What's missing is the part where he says, Hey, Esau, which is really talking to Jacob, but hey, son, this is why I'm blessing you. Isaac doesn't do it. Why? Because Esau didn't deserve it. And not only that, those are four reasons. Let me give you the fifth reason. Fifthly, because God had already told Rebekah, hey, the older son will serve the younger son. You're supposed to give your blessing to the younger son. Not to the older son. So do you really think that Rebecca didn't tell her, her husband Isaac that? I'm sure she did. So Isaac knew that not only did Esau not live up to the patriarch, not live up to what he was supposed to be doing, he also knew that God's will was, hey, bless Jacob, don't bless Esau. But Isaac is caught in a conundrum. What is the conundrum? The conundrum is I don't want to bring dishonor to our family. I don't want to bring dishonor to, uh, to, to Esau. I don't want to hurt him either. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to bless him anyways. And then who finds out? Rebecca finds out. And she goes about it. But she goes about it in the wrong way. And what does she do? She dresses Jacob up, makes a stew, comes in there. And Isaac blesses Jacob. By the way, I'm not saying that Jacob is perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but, it, but, but let me just miss, like, a heavily probably think, we probably, most of us probably think that it was Jacob's idea, but it was not Jacob's idea to do this. Whose idea was it? It was Rebecca's idea, wasn't it? Rebecca said, hey, son, I heard this. You go get dressed. I'm going to go make this. To which, what does Jacob reply? Jacob replies, hey, we shouldn't do this. This is wrong. What if we get caught? Then I'm not even going to get a blessing. I'm going to get a what? A curse. My dad's going to curse me if he finds out. We shouldn't do this, mom. And what does Rebecca respond? Rebecca says, I'll take care of it, honey. Don't you worry about a thing. I'll go do it. And so, push comes to shove, and all the time passes, and Esau finds out. He consoles himself. He's a hothead. He's like, oh, I'm about to kill Jacob. When Isaac dies, I'm killing Jacob. That's what he goes around saying. And people know this. And Rebecca hears this. And Isaac hears this. And Isaac, ah, oh, he'll cool down. You know he won't do it. But Rebecca says, yes, he is. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to send Jacob off to my uncle's house. But what was Jacob's, what was his mom Rebecca's ulterior motive of sending Jacob off? Was it only to rescue him? It does say he wants to rescue him. Look in verse um, 
43 of chapter 27, chapter 27, verse 43, it says this. So listen carefully, my son. Get ready and flee to my brother Laban in Haran. Stay there with him until your brother cools off. When he calms down and forgets what you have done to him, I will send for you to come back. Why should I lose both of you in one day? So why would, why, what, how would they lose both? Because Esau would kill Jacob and then the community would find out about it, and then Esau would be stoned. That was the law of the land. And then verse 46, it says this, Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I'm sick and I'm tired of these local Hittite women. Who, were, who was married to Hittite women? His brother, who? Esau. I would rather die than see Jacob marry one of them. And so uh, Rebecca's ulterior motive is that I'm about to send Jacob away not only to save his life but to make him marry someone who is not from around here. And so Jacob travels five, well, you may have never heard this, 100 miles, 500 miles over one month and finally ends up in the land of Laban, which is where we're going to look at and that's where we're going to pick up when we start to read chapter 29. So we've already read verse 1. Let's go now to verse 2. With all that in our background, he saw a well in the distance. Three flocks of sheep and goats lay in an open field beside it, waiting to be watered, but a heavy stone covered their mouth. Verse 3, it was custom there to wait for all the flocks to arrive before removing the stone and watering the animals. Afterwards, the stone would be replaced over the mouth of the well. So what does this teach us? Here's what it teaches us, is that when Jacob was walking up, he looked and he saw a bunch of sheep and goats, but he also saw a bunch of young boys surrounding the well. How do, you, how, how do I know that it was young boys? Here's how I know it was young boys, because if it is a young man from the ages 6, 7, maybe all the way even up to 10, they would not venture far away from their father's flocks. They would stay really close at home. How do I know they weren't far away? Because when, when Rachel, which is another person in the character, saw Jacob, she ran away and went to find Laban just a few minutes away. So we know that they were right beside their house. We also know this. We also know, do you see how it says, but a heavy stone covered the mouth? Well, we, we, if it was a heavy stone, it says that they would wait. Do you see it in the text? It says they waited, but they waited um, for flocks, plural, to arrive before removing the stone. Why? Because they were young boys. They were six, they were seven, they were eight. And all of them together, they could move the stone, but not one, not two. They had to wait till all the flocks were there, and they would all use their combined strength and move the stone and feed their sheep. How do I know that the oldest would go farther away? I know that because... Do you remember in the next story over, the story of Joseph? Uh, uh, Jacob looked at Joseph and says, Hey, son, go check on your brothers. And where does he go to? He says, I'm ready to go. Where do I go? He sends him to Dan, which is over 400 miles away from where they were. He went 400 miles up north. 
Because why? The older, 18, 19, if you had a bunch of flocks, you would send the older to graze pasture lands farther away, and you would keep the younger ones closer to the closer pasture lands. It's just logic. And so he comes up, and he sees these young men there. And not only that, but what does he tell the young men? He says, hey, quit just sitting around talking. What does he say? He says, um, let me see if I can find it. He says, it's still in verse 7. Go with me to verse 7, chapter 29, verse 7. He, Jacob said to these young boys, look, it's still broad daylight, too early to round up the animals. Why don't you water the sheep and the goats so they can get back out to the pasture? In other words, he, he, he's saying, hey, quit being lazy. But what do they respond? They say, well, we can't water the animals until all the flocks have arrived because we need people to, like, to, to, to help us push this, push this stone away. And what's funny about that is that Jacob, if he would have said this to some grown men or some 18-year-olds, that would have probably jumped Jacob. Like, who are you? Dude, you're not even from around here. Get on. But Jacob's a hard worker. Jacob knows the family tradition. Jacob says, hey, y'all are just sitting around here. Water the sheep and then get back to work. That's essentially what Jacob says. And so then we see this. Go with me to verse 9. Jacob was still talking with them when who arrived? This girl Rachel arrived. Now, who is Rachel? We know all the way back in verse 6, if you go back to verse 6 or verse 5, it, Jacob asked these boys, he says, Do you know a man named Laban, the grandson, grandson of Nahor? He asked. And they replied, Yes, we do. They, they replied, Is he doing well? Jacob asked. Yes, he's doing very well. They answered, Look, verse 6, look. Here comes his daughter, Rachel, now with the flock. And so Jacob looks up and he says, Hey, look, Rachel's coming. And we pick up in verse 9. Rachel finally gets here and what happens? We know, number one, that she was a shepherd. Why is that important? Okay, here's why that is important. Because women at that time were not shepherds. That was not a customary thing for a woman to be a shepherd. And now we know that Rachel is a shepherd. What does that say about Laban? What that says about Laban is he liked to save that money. He was a cheapo. Anybody like that in the room? Like, yeah, I'm saving the I'm great value everywhere I go, right? My dad, one time, we was at Sonic, and I took my little girlfriend. Kat's not here, so I can talk about my ex-girlfriends, I guess. And so, like, I, I was, like, in the seventh grade, and I took one of my girlfriends to Sonic, and she was like, what do you want? And she replied, I want a number four. I don't know what number it was, but I want a number four. And dad kind of scratched his head, and here's what he said. He said, uh, what do you want on your McDouble? <laughs> and I don't even have that. Like, like a do little dollar menu hamburger. What do you want on that? Just mayonnaise, mustard, ketchup? Like, no. Like, my dad's the biggest cheapskate. So was Laban. Laban was the biggest cheapskate. How do I know that? Because if you had money at the time, you would not allow your daughter to become. And we know that he does have money because the boys just said, hey, he is well, he is good, he is prosperous. He has many flocks. And so if you would have had money, you would have hired another guy, someone else, to look after your sheep. But Laban says, I'm not going to do that. i got a daughter sitting at the house. I'm going to let my daughter come. Now, what's important in the story is that they would not let 
um, a daughter go out with men. That was very dishonorable in that society. She would have been with the boys, so six, seven, and eight. They would not have let Rachel go out with the men. And what we also know from her being a shepherd is that she was at least 15 years old. Here's how we know that she was at least 15 years old. Imagine if you were to get married, and the girl that you wanted to marry, the wife that you wanted to marry, y'all married, and she couldn't cook, she couldn't clean, she couldn't wash clothes, she couldn't do nothing. Or imagine you was about to marry a boy, a husband, and you married your husband, and he couldn't mow the grass, he couldn't work outside, he didn't know how to fix anything, he didn't know how to cook, he didn't know how to clean either, that both the husband and the wife didn't know how to do anything. Like, they were completely, they, that would be a problem. So what they would do in this society is they would teach all the things that you learn that young women would learn to do around the house, like, like the, the weaving, the making baskets, the, the, the ins and the outs of cooking. They would teach all that all the way up until their 14-year-old birthday. But theirs were a little bit different. So actually, it was all the way up until they were 15. They just turned 15 the way that we think. So we know that she was at least 15 years old if she was allowed to go out. Because up until then, no shepherding, no nothing. You're learning at home how to do the ins and outs. And so we know that she's 15 years old. She comes and she sees Jacob. And what does Jacob do? Jacob says this. Jacob was still talking with them when Rachel arrived in verse 9. For she was a shepherd, verse 10 says this, And because Rachel was his cousin, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and, be, and because the sheep and goats belonged to his uncle Laban, Jacob went over the, to the well, and what did he do? Because he was about 40 years old at this time, he was strong. He, did he need anybody to help him move that stone? No, he was a grown man. He just moved it himself. It says this, that Jacob went over there, he moved the stone from its mouth, and he did what? He watered his flock. Then Jacob kissed Rachel. Now, was this common? No, it was not common. Most people would not kiss. The only people in that day who would have kissed each other like that on the, on the, on the cheek would have been family. And you get this because Jacob already knew that who was his family. He already knew that, hey, Rachel, that's my family. That's my cousin. And so he kisses him, and then Rachel's like, uh, what, what's going on? And then it says in the text that Jacob started to weep. He started to cry. Why did he start to cry? I don't know. Maybe because everything just boiled over when he finally saw Rachel. But here's what it says. He wept aloud. He explained to Rachel, Rachel, I am your cousin. And it clicked. Oh, you're, you're Aunt Rebecca's boy. You're, you're Laban's nephew. You're, I remember, I've heard stories about you. I've heard stories about this. You're, you're my cousin. And so what did Rachel do? It says, so Reba Rachel quickly ran off and told Laban. He just, she's gone. And who's watching the sheep still? Jacob. Because he's a hard worker, because he knows, hey, i got to keep these sheep now. And I'm sure it kind of made him a little happy. Like, oh man, she's like, she's like really excited. And goes and tells Laban, hey, your nephew has just arrived. So what do we see that happens next? Get this. Get this. Verse 13. As soon as Laban 
heard that his nephew Jacob had arrived, he ran out to meet him. Now, why would Laban run out to meet him? Go all the way back to chapter 24, and you'll learn. In chapter 24, verse 29, here's what we have. It says this. Now, Rebekah had a brother named Laban who ran out. So what's happening right now is that Abraham has a son named who? Isaac. And Isaac has a son named Jacob. And so Abraham is trying to get Isaac a wife. So this is where we pick up in this story. So now Rebekah had a brother named Laban. And what did he do? He ran out to meet the man at the spring. He had seen the nose ring, like golden nose ring and bracelets on his sister's wrist and heard that Rebekah tell the man what he said. So he rushed out to the spring where the man was still standing beside his camels. And Laban said to him, come and stay with us. Now, Laban at this time was no older than 10 or 11. He was a real small child. And he runs out there and he's like, Gold, 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 gold. Hey, come stay with us. Come on. And as a result, what happened? We see all the way in verse 53, it says this. Right before verse 54, it says, Then he, being uh, the servant, brought out silver and gold jewelry and clothing and presented them to Rebecca. Here you go, Rebecca. This is for you to come marry Isaac. He also gave expensive presents to her brother and her mother. So what's... Laban thinking, he's thinking, hey, I've seen this before. I'm about to run out here and I'm about to get rich. I'm about to, I mean, I'm cheap and I like money. I'm coming out here. He's about to pay me something for maybe one of my daughters. That's what he's thinking. And so now, he, in, verse, in chapter 29, he's running out here. And as he's still running out there, who does he see? He sees Jacob. Oh, you're my nephew. You're my sister's son. And then what happens? Jacob, it says, tell Tells him everything. Look at me with verse 13. As soon as Laban heard this, he ran out to meet his nephew Jacob. He embraced and kissed him, because families would do that, and brought him home. When Jacob had told him his story, so we know that Jacob told him his story. Jacob told him everything. He knows about Esau. He knows about the whole deal. Laban explained, You really are of my own flesh. So then, it says, after Jacob had stayed with Laban for about a month. Now, what's funny about this next verse? What's funny is that Jacob is thinking it's going to be about one or two days he's going to be there. One or two days. How do I know that? Because look with me in, verse, or in chapter um, 27, verse 43. It says this. Chapter 27, verse 43. We just read it earlier. He says this. So listen, this is uh, Rebecca speaking. So listen carefully, my son. Get ready and flee to my brother Laban in Haran. Stay there with him a few days until your brother cools off. How many of yours says, um, if, if you're reading your Bibles, how many does it say, wait a while? Does anybody say, wait a while? Chapter 27, verse 43. Does, any, does anybody say, wait a while? Yours says, wait a while. Thank you, Mr. Hutch. Does anybody say, wait a few days? Does anybody, just raise your hand, wait a few days? 
Yours says that, Miss Melanie. Wait a few days. Anyway, Mr. Bill. All right. So I looked this up. The word is actually ha-yam. Ha-yam in the Hebrew. Yam in the Hebrew is the, the word for day. Ha is a couple. So it literally says, wait a couple of days. Some people translate that, wait a little while. But the real translation is wait a couple of days. So what is Jacob thinking? Jacob is thinking, hey, in a couple of days, my mom's going to send a servant. He's going to bring some gifts, and I'm going to be able to pay the bridal price for Rachel. Do you all see how this story is shaping? But how long goes by? It says in verse, um, in chapter 29, chapter 29, in verse 14, it says, After Jabe, Je- Jacob had stayed with Laban for about a month, so a month goes by, and there is no deal. A servant hasn't come. Nobody's come to bring the bridal price. And Laban finally gets fed up. He says, okay, look, son. His words, let me read them exactly, and I'll tell you what it means. Um, Laban said to him, verse 15, You shouldn't work for me without pay just because we are relatives. Tell me, how much should your wages be? So that sounds like a friendly thing, right? That sounds like a really friendly thing for him to say. But here's what Laban is saying. Laban is actually saying, Hey, man, like, like, you, you got you to gotta, you work around here if you're going to keep staying here all the time. How much should I pay you? It's just a friendly way of saying, hey, you can't just keep staying here without nothing. And so here's what he responds. Listen to Jacob. Jacob says, tell me how much your uh, wages should be. Verse 16, now Laban had two daughters. The older daughter was named Leah. And the younger one was named Rachel. So it all, we already have t- heard about Rachel. There was, there was, mine says, no sparkle in Lee's eye. The, the translation legitimately we, reads that Leah had weak eyes. I got a picture up here. Um, I think you may have to skip two slides, um, Griff. And it says weak eyes. What's this known as? It's a, it's a medical condition, actually. It's called ptosis. It's called ptosis. Some people call it uh, the, the condition of the sleepy-eyed. What, what it means is, have you all ever heard the, 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 the saying, my eyes are heavy? It means you're like really, really tired. And you, it feels like your eyelids are so heavy, you just can't open them because you're so tired. Well, this is actually a condition called ptosis. And it, what it means is you don't have muscles in the top of your eyes. You're very weak on your eyelids. So your eyes always, it's not really open eyes. It's more like slits because you can't open your eyes fully. So it's thought that this is actually what Leah would have looked like. And not only that, but do you know what Leah is translated? Leah, the actual translation of Leah is cow. So what it says is that Leah was overweight. She had this eye condition. But what it says about Rachel, I'm going to read it exactly how it says it. But Rachel had a beautiful figure and a lovely face. So it says that, Je- that Rachel, she was hot. Verse 18 says, Since Jacob was in love with Rachel, he told her father, I'll work for you for seven years if you give me Rachel, your younger daughter, as my wife. And here's where I'm ending. Is that how, like, why would he work for seven years? The average, the average cost of a woman, like a, a bridal price for a woman, was 25 shekels. If you had a smoking hot hottie 
as a wife, you would pay 35 shekels. And if you had done something bad, like for example, if you, if you, if you was in trouble, you would have to pay 50 shekels as a bridal price. I'll show you this in, in Deuteronomy, if you're wondering how I know this. In Deuteronomy 22, 28, it says this, If a man happens to meet a virgin who is not pledged to be married and has sexual intercourse with her, and they are discovered, he shall pay her father 50 shekels of silver. He must marry the young woman, for he has violated her. And so this was a really, like, a really big expense. How much would that be like in today's currency? Well, you would work one month, the average wage was one month, one month, one month of work would be one shekel. One month for one shekel. So if you paid seven years, how many shekels, or seven years, how many shekels would that be worth? Almost 84. 84 shekels is what Jacob is willing to pay for Rachel. I mean, that's a good price. That would be like me. Like my dad just brought a brand new Tacoma, and the brand new Tacoma is pretty nice, but it cost him $42,000 out the door. That would be like dad going in there to bar- bargain with the, the Tacoma guy and saying, I'll tell you what, I'll cut you a deal, man. I'll give you a wonderful deal. I'll buy that Tacoma if you'll take it at this price. I'll pay you $184,000, take it or leave it. What would you think the car salesman would be? He'd be like, oh, I'll take it. You pay me $184,000, you can have the Tacoma. That's what Jacob was doing. He was paying over three times as much as what the, 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 the 35, the, the, the great price would be at 35. He was paying over three times that, 84 shekels. My math isn't right. Over two times that, all right? Over 84 shekels. Why? Why? And here's the answer. Here's the answer. It was because Rachel wanted, I mean, Jacob wanted to marry the younger daughter without marrying the older daughter. He was saying, look, I'll pay you all this. I'll pay you the bridal price for Leah. I'll pay you the bridal price for, Leah, for, uh, for Rachel. And then I'll add some to it. I'll do all this so that I can marry Rachel. Because in that custom, it was, it was custom in that day, it was custom that what? That the oldest be married first and then the youngest. So he's saying, I don't want to marry the oldest. I want to marry the youngest. So because the oldest isn't married, I'll pay you double the bridal price so you'll let me marry Rachel. That's why I believe, he said, I'll work seven years. Now I want you to put yourself in Laban's shoes. You have a daughter you have a daughter in which you love. She has a condition where her eyes aren't exactly right. She's not the most attractive. You, you won't even let her be a shepherd. You send Rachel out there to be a shepherd because uh, you don't want anybody to, 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 to see. And you're in this condition where he's like, what do I do with my oldest daughter? i got to get her married, but, but, and i got to get Rachel married too, but, but, but what am I going to do? So he's trying to send Rachel out so that maybe someone comes along and says, hey, look, for Rachel, I'll marry both of them and I'll give, you, I'll give you money for both of them. That's Laban's plans. But, but Jacob comes along and says look I only want to marry Rachel. I only want to marry Rachel. And so, so, so Laban is caught in this weird situation like what do I do? What do I do? Do I just neglect my older daughter at the expense of my younger daughter? What do I do? He's in a tough situation so here's what he decides to do. 
the older sister Leah comes to her dad and says, Laban, what am I going to do? Uh, Rachel's getting married, but I'm not. And he says, Laban says, I got a plan. I got a plan. Until the seven years are up and the plan is finally about to come together. It says this, verse 21, Finally the time came for him to marry her. Who is her? It's Rachel. I have fulfilled my agreement. Jacob said to Laban, Now give me my wife so I can sleep with her. And by the way, it says wife. Um, have you, uh, w- w- the idea of wife, um, go to the next t- text, because you may think they're, they're just engaged, they're not married yet. Why do they say, well, look, um, do you know that when, when Joseph and Mary were engaged and that Mary had this kid named Jesus, that he was going to divorce her silently? Why would, if they were only engaged, why would he have to divorce her? Because in that custom you would be married when you were engaged but you didn't sleep together until the day of the the wedding i'll show you what i'm talking about this is how the birth of jesus the messiah came about his mother mary was pledged to be married to joseph but before they came together she was found to be pregnant through the holy spirit the next verse says because joseph her what her husband was faithful to the law and yet he did not want to expose her publicly he had in mind to divorce her quietly so he says, give me my wife, what's mine, so I can sleep with her. So Laban, here's what he did. He, in, he invited everyone to a neighborhood party. He prepared a great wedding, piece, uh, wedding feast, but that night, when it was dark, Laban took Leah to Jacob, and he slept with her. Laban had given Leah a servant, Zilphah, for her to be married. But when Jacob woke up in the morning, it says it was Leah. So the wedding party would last about seven days. But on the first day of the wedding party, everybody would come to the wedding party. There would be wine, there would be alcohol, there would be music, there would be feasts, there would be everything. It was a great, um, um, I don't know, celebration. And at the very end of that night, here's what Laban decided to do. Hey, Rachel, take off your dress, take off your veil, give it to Leah. Leah, put it on. But Dad, I, I, what... Rachel, did you hear me? Hey, take it off. Leah, put it on. Don't worry about it. Do it right now. I'm gone. When I come back, you better be dressed. You better be, she better be wearing what you have on by. And so he goes off. And what does he do? Hey, hey, Jacob, you're doing so good. You want some alcohol? You want some wine? Oh, man, what time is it? Six? Oh, almost getting dark. Here's some more. Here's some more. Here's some more. And what happens? It gets 10 o'clock at night. It's dark outside. And who is wasted? That's a bad word to say in church. Who is not in their right mind? Jacob, he's not in in his right mind. He's like, oh man, I'm saying like four or five. And so being dark, being that he wasn't in his right mind, who comes in there? Is it Rachel or is it Lee? It's Lee. And like, oh my goodness, what has happened? And so here's how Jacob responds. He says, what have you done to me? Jacob raged at Laban. Laban, I worked for you for seven years for Rachel. Why have you treated? me and here's the point of my sermon here's the point of the whole thing is that if Laban would have just been up front and honest with Jacob and said listen listen son I can't marry Rachel without Lee if you want to marry Rachel you're going to have to marry both of them I would be willing to bet you not another good word in church. I would almost be willing to guarantee that Jacob would have been like, I understand that. 
I understand, I'll marry them both, because he knew the traditions. But because Laban wasn't up front, he tried to deceive him. The ends was right. I need to get them both married. I need to marry Leah first. But the way that he went about it was deceiving, it was deceitful, and it was sinful. Just like, just like Jacob and Rebekah did to their father, Isaac. And all those years later, I bet it came back. We had the right goal. I should have got the blessing, Jacob says, but I went about it in the wrong way. Laban saying, hey, look, I needed to marry them both, but I went about it in the wrong way. And if they would have just been upfront and honest, if Rebecca would have been honest with Isaac, hey, look, son, we can't give Esau the blessing. We got to give it the blessing to Jacob. I bet Isaac would have been like, yeah, you're right, it's from God. And the same thing with Laban. If Laban would have been up front and honest, I can't marry them both. The seven years, you can have them both. I bet Jacob would have been like, that's fine. So in our lives, in our lives, be up front with people. Be up front with your offers. Be up front with your truth. Be up front with your word. When it's hard to be up front, when it's hard to tell them ahead of time, tell them ahead of time. When it's hard to be honest, brutally honest, when it's going to hurt their feelings, hurt them anyway. Why? Because it's the right. Be up front. I don't mean to go around hurting people's feelings, but if something needs to be said, say it. Be up front. And also know that just like in this story, we see the end was good. I got to marry, and, and, and Jacob needs the blessings. That's a good end. But the means that they both used, both families used to get that was wrong. And so in our lives, don't let the means justify the end. I'll end with this last verse. It comes to us from Romans, and here's what it says. In Romans 3, 7 and 8, it says, For if the truth of God hath more abounded through my lie unto his glory, why yet am I also judged as a sinner, and not rather as we be slandering reported as some say that we do? What is that saying? It's saying that if I'm up here preaching and I have a story and it's a great story and somebody's going to become saved because of this great story that I have and they're going to give glory to God and they'll become saved. But I'm lying. The story's not even true. I just make it up and I lie. If that's what, something that I do, it's saying that that is wrong. Even though God would get glory, you went about it in a lie, in the wrong way. And the same is true in our lives. If we have a good ends, don't lie, don't cheat, don't be dishonest, don't sin to get that. Do it rightly and God will bless you for it.